Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello and welcome to this special season of Monsters Who Murder. While we take a break over December and January, we have created these special fortnightly episodes to keep you busy until our return in February. As always, I'm Robert McKnight and I'm with the serial killer whisperer, the original, the one and only Amanda Howard. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. I hope you're enjoying your trip through Disneyland and (laughs) half of America. (laughs) I'm sure I am by the time most people listen to this episode. Of course, our Patreon subscribers will possibly be hearing it before I embark on my trip into the United States of America. So hopefully they've enjoyed them if they've decided to binge them. Um, Or possibly I'm mixing this on the plane. We just don't know. But it's actually... I know what I'm betting on. (laughs) Well, it's uh, February... Sorry, February. It's December 27 as we record this. We have already done the other three episodes. We got episode one up. Uh, Today I am putting two episodes up. So episodes two and three will be up. And this will be the fourth one, which uh, time will tell when it gets mixed, but (laughs) probably on the plane. Um, It's good to see you, Amanda. These have been fascinating cases and deviate a little different a little differently to our normal cases. And uh, it's an interesting perspective looking at these historical cases that don't have uh, the audio confessions that we usually do our psychological profiles on. Yeah, it is, and and this is something that I'd like to do when we do take breaks. So it means that I have to get these these notes up and going before we do take breaks. <laughs> but um, I think I think it's just going to bring us a more diverse range of cases because the cases that we have the actual killers talking to camera or talking to a microphone is 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 quite few and I have a lot of information on a lot of other killers so this is a different way of doing it unfortunately it means Robert that you have to read lots and lots and lots That's but right. I think it works for us I love so. the sound of my own voice so no dramas <laughs> which is weird considering the voice I've got um <laughs> But what we also have to do for our Patreon people, which you can subscribe through patreon.com slash mwmconfessions, is uh, we need to get more of those cold case collections out, Amanda. So we've fallen a bit behind there. Yes, I know. With Christmas, you know, I go a bit crazy and Ivan Milat's death sort of 
put me a bit sidetracked as well. So I promise there will be more coming out very soon. And there will also be a Monsters Who Murder book two coming out as well in the new year. So to go with the cases that we do, I'll be providing the case files. Fantastic. So in February, basically what you're saying is we are ramping up production once I'm back in the country. And uh, while I'm away holidaying, you're going to be doing a lot of writing and preparing. (laughs) Is that, pretty much. is that our relationship? <laughs> That's sort of? pretty standard. So you're having a holiday from being on holidays for 12 months and <laughs> I'll keep working. I worked today and <laughs> yes, okay, I'll keep working. <laughs> Good girl. All right, let's get into our next case. On May 3, 1989 at 10.40am, killer Alan Legere escaped from a bathroom at a Canadian hospital. The killer had been transported to the hospital for an ear infection from prison where he was serving a life sentence for the brutal murder of convenience store owner John Glendening. Once at the hospital, Legere requested to use the bathroom. Wearing handcuffs and leg shackles, the prison guards allowed him to enter the bathroom stall alone. Inside the bathroom, he picked the locks on his shackles and removed from his rectum a collapsible TV antenna. He then opened the store briefly to ask one of the guards for toilet paper. As the guard turned to find some, Legere burst from the bathroom, injuring the guards with the TV antenna as he fled. Alan Legere would be on the run for seven months, during which time he went on a frantic crime spree that resulted in the deaths of four people and the sexual assault of a fifth. Let's head back to the beginning of Legere's murders. The first attacks occurred three years earlier. On June 21, 1986, Legere, along with Ted Mache and Scott Curtis, broke into the house of an elderly couple, John and Mary Glendening. Tell us about this crime. Well, John and Mary, they, they owned like a small convenience store that was actually attached to their home. So like their, their, their home was sort of behind the store. And um, it was known that they actually kept a lot of cash on the premises. And um, on on this fateful night on June 21, um, Legere, Matchett and Curtis actually decided to rob the home. And so they cut the power to the New Brunswick home and then they entered. Now, well, once inside, the, the couple sort of come at them, you know, they were trying to protect their home, obviously, and um, they were both actually quite brutally beaten. Now, John actually had his hands and feet tied together once he was subdued. And um, according to the court transcript, his body showed hardly a spot that was not bruised. So his attackers had actually kicked him and beat him with a lump of wood uh, from the fireplace, as well as tying a shirt around his throat. Mm. And he was actually strangled to death. So he unfortunately passed away. Um, But Mary actually survived through her injuries. And what the doctor actually said at court was... um, they could not believe that a person could be that badly beaten and still be alive. So you can imagine the abuse that she had suffered. Um, Thankfully, she was able to call police before she collapsed unconscious and the trio were actually quickly captured and they were sentenced to prison for the crime. Now, apparently there was an issue about whether Legere was there or not. Yeah, I mean, according to the the correspondence that I've actually had with Alan over the years, um, he claims his innocence. Of course, they all do, <laughs> but um, but but there is a bit going on with this case because it was hard to prove that he was here. The other two confessed, but Legier wouldn't, and he had actually been to the Glendening household several times beforehand and actually cased the joint. It was his idea to rob them, but um, he had actually claimed that on the night in question he wasn't there and he was only. Uh, questioned by police because he'd been fingered by Mache. Um, But, you know, it 
actually come down to when he was being questioned by police, he was saying they, 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 and then every so often he would say I, you know, and while I was there. Right. And so that's how they actually convicted him is purely on his own statements. They never were able to prove that he was there. But he still went to jail, and regardless of what happened there, this brings us to the escape after his incarceration and what led to a bloodthirsty crime spree. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he claimed in our, our conversations that he only went on the crime spree because he was convicted of the crime that he didn't commit. And he reckons that this right. was all just punishment um, to to um, to be compelled to do these crimes purely because he had been sentenced to jail when he was an innocent man. That's an interesting take, isn't it? I went to jail, convicted of a crime I didn't commit, so I'm escaping from jail and I'm going to commit the crimes because you found me guilty anyway. Well, yeah, and I mean, once you've been sentenced to life, you've been sentenced to life. Mm. So really, it, it, it does bring up a legal loophole, yes, that they can, you know, sentence him for 3,000 years. It's not going to make a difference. One life is one life. Well, look, the first murder and assault occurred on May 28, 1989, but there were many other crimes in those first few weeks. Yeah, well, after he escaped, he actually um, walked out outside of the hospital and commandeered a car and took a woman on a drive until um, she was able to escape. And then two days later, he um, tied up a man and beat him and robbed him. He broke into a woman's house and stole all of her jewellery and beat her. And um, strangely, he actually returned to the Glendening house where he was recognised by others. But again, he, he was able to escape. Um, but before he, he killed his first victim, he actually broke into another man's house and robbed him. So there's this massive crime spree that's going on with, with Legere. Um, but so far... Though he's beating these people, it hadn't escalated to the point of the previous cases. But 74-year-old Annie Flam would be the first to die during Legere's spree. Yeah, I mean, Annie Flan, like um, the, the Glendening, she owned a grocery store that was connected to her home and she lived there with her sister-in-law, Nina Flam. And um, according to the court transcripts, Nina said that she was working at 11 o'clock that night um, by a masked man standing over her. He called her by name, which actually majorly concerned her. As it would, as you can imagine. Uh, we've got the court transcript of this. It goes on to explain the attack on Nina. Her hands were bound with nylons. The intruder threatened her with a knife and tried to strangle her. At one point, he asked her if she knew where Annie Flam kept her money. He left for some time, and when he returned, she asked him if Annie was okay. He said that she was all right. He then proceeded to beat and rape her and forced her into performing other sexual acts. After the assault, the intruder tucked her into bed and set fire to clothing and material he obtained from a closet in the room. Then he left closing the door behind him. She managed to get out of bed and go to the door. When she opened it, she found the intruder waiting at the door. She was pushed back into the room and the door was again closed on her. Amanda, what happened next? Well, she was actually able to escape again, but she actually passed out from her injuries. Um, but she was able to get down downstairs. And by this time, uh, the fire brigade had actually turned up because of, of, of the fire and the smoke that was billowing from the home. Um, Annie's body was also found and no, she wasn't okay. Um, she had actually been 
tied up. She'd been raped and she'd been tucked into bed as well. Um, she had been badly beaten and Legia had actually removed her pyjamas and she was found basically naked. Um, she'd been struck in the tw- in she'd been struck twice in the jaw during the assault and the blows had actually smashed her jaw apart. Um, there was also a lot of um, fire damage, so they really couldn't pinpoint all of the injuries that had happened to her because of the fire. But both of them had been so brutally assaulted um, that it was easy to sort of start to put together what was happening in these cases. It's interesting. This is a very dif- different method to the one that he went to jail for. Well, Which they was were strangulation. Both, yeah, I mean, they were both tied up. But, yes, uh, uh, John Glendening had been strangled with his shirt. But um, there was also And this is a very sexual nature. This is very sexual. And and these are elderly ladies. I mean, we're not talking about 25-year-olds. Not another 25-year-old should be raped instead of elderly. But these are elderly women. So You have to wonder what type of man rapes two elderly ladies, beats them and sets fire to their rooms. Well, there's in, there has to be intense anger here. There is, um, you know, a sexual rage that's going on. It, there's a compulsivity to it. Um, he's going in to do these crimes almost as revenge. He's, he's taking out what he believes as society has done to him, which is basically screw him. And mm. he is trying to say, well, I'm going to get you, your, your most vulnerable people to sort of show you what a monster really could be. And he left behind several clues, though. Yeah, well, I mean, we are talking about the 80s, and uh, they actually were able to retrieve DNA from the assaults. Um, And he had also left behind a pair of his prison-issued glasses. So they were quickly able to identify that um, Legere was the perpetrator. Well, during June and September, Legere attacked, robbed and beat more people. The assaults, they were brutal. They were violent. Many of the victims were raped and others were shot. All of the crimes included an attempt to steal money. Amanda, is money the motive and the attacks secondary? It, it seems to be that way because let's look at the first crime. The first crime was basically a murder that occurred during a brutal assault and robbery. Uh, cash was the incentive and that's what they were after. But I think as he was going on, he became more, more, more practice at, at these violent assaults and I think that that's what he was doing. He was getting the reward of, of the finances. He was picking homes that he knew that there would be cash involved. Um, but he was also going for, for the sexual gratification. He was defiling these victims. This is why he, he picked a house that had two females in it instead of, you know, a house of four men. He knew that he'd be able to subdue them. He knew that he'd be able to control them. He knew that he'd be able to do what he wanted. And that included violent rape, including, you know, these these smashing over the heads and breaking jaws. And it's just so violent that it is it's more than just a robbery gone wrong. Well, then on October 13, 1989, Legere murdered two sisters, Donna and Linda Daphne. Again, it would be smoke billowing from the house that raised the alarm. Amanda, walk us through what was found. Well, the two women that were in their 40s were found in Donna's bedroom. So Donna was 45. She was tucked into bed. Um, and 41-year-old Linda was found collapsed on the floor. Um, both of the women had actually been tortured for many, many hours before they actually succumbed to their injuries. Um, both of them had their jaws broken during the attack, which we're seeing is, is part of Legere's signature, mm. and they had both been raped, and Linda had then also been strangled during the attack. Ah, so we do have a strangulation mm-hmm. here, 
Uh, but he didn't leave the scene. No. Um, after he'd set the fire in in their home, um, he actually just stood around and watching. He he was waiting for the fire brigade to come. He was waiting for people to to come out and see what was going on. Um, people actually identified him later saying, yeah, he was standing right here beside us when we were all asking what's going on. He didn't leave the scene. He was too excited. Uh, why would he do that? He's on the run. His face is plastered everywhere. Why would he risk it? Because he wants to see the aftermath. He wants to see the devastation. Uh, the gratification. Exactly, exactly. It's about getting getting those extra kicks because once he's he's killed the most killers leave the scene, you know, but there's some some sort of post-mortem ritual and for him it was to stay around. Fires are a huge indicator of a serial killer triad as as we know and along with bedwetting and cruelty to animals. And to, for him to stay around and watch the fire is very indicative that this is psychopathy at work. This isn't just a man out for revenge. Well, again, DNA swabs were taken, but the way Donna had been found tucked in bed, investigators knew Legier was the perp, but he killed again only a month later. Yeah, I mean, so so they knew that they needed to chase him, but um, on November 15, 1989, uh, Legier murdered a priest, James Smith. Um, James, again, like the others, had been uh, tortured for many, many hours before he succumbed to his injuries. Uh, Legier... Interesting that it's a male. Well, he's gone in, into a church to do this. So he's gone into, and I, don't ask me, I'm going to call it the rectory, but it's not. It's the house next door that the priest lives in. Don't ask me, I'm not Catholic. Um, and he'd gone in there looking for the cash that the church had. So, I mean, you know, a church so is going to have money cash. is a motivation again. So it money is. is his motivation. It's It's part of the gratification he gets from it. So it's not just about... Um, the cash, otherwise he would tie them up, take the cash and leave. It's beyond yeah. that. So he's, yeah. he's not just subduing these people. Like with with James Smith, he actually kicked But him could out. it be in his head that it's a motivation and then his um, psychopathy comes in where he then goes to these extra lengths, you know, the sexual assaults, the, the tying up? No, I think it's opposite. I think he goes in there with ah. the intent to injure and then pilfers what he can on his way out. But he does go to places where he knows there's going to be readily available cash. Like if, So that's my point. Yeah, yeah. So he knows that he needs to have that outcome, but it's not the only um, motive for him, him to go to these places because this is an elderly man again. He's not gone in, into a place of a 25-year-old where he's he's going to meet his match. He's certainly playing the odds, isn't oh, he? he the, is. Putting the odds in his favour where he's not getting people who are likely to be able to outpower him. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Smith was kicked, he was punched and he was stomped. I mean, he, he, he literally um, was, was covered in blood and footprints from, from the killer. I mean, the, the, the blood that was all over Legier's boots was so much that he actually put them into the sink and tried to wash them because they were oh. so covered in blood. And he realised that he couldn't and he left his boots behind, which were going to be a major, major thing. Um, but he he was able to do all of this over a long period of time. He's not going in and, and, and beating these people quickly. He's taking his time. He's knowing that, 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 um, that Father Smith is 
going to be free until the next morning. No one's going to find him. And he seems to do this many times, that when he, he goes to these homes of, of his victims, they're actually quite carefully planned because none of them have, you know, a neighbour popping over for a cup of sugar. These people mm. are left for hours and hours and hours. And people actually in the neighbourhood say, oh, well, I actually walked past the home and there was lights on and I didn't expect that, but I kept walking. And this is what happened over and over again. And it was only like um, Father Smith was only found the next day when um, the the church's parishioners turned up and he wasn't there. And that's when they went and found him. Yeah, well, the timing for that, sadly, was too late. And on that very same day, authorities confirmed that Legere was linked to the earlier murders. But before an official announcement could be made, the press broke the story, giving Legere a heads up that he was Canada's public enemy number one, and he went to ground. Yeah, he did. It's actually quite surprising. He changed his appearance many, many times, and most people will will know the final picture of him when he was arrested. Bushy man, crazy hair, big beard, and th- things like that. But he, he shaved, he, he pulled his hair back, he cut it, he, he let it grow out. He did this multiple, multiple times, and he would actually get on a train at one station steal an outfit and get off at a different station, totally different. So he would, you know, steal people's clothes and suitcases and all of this. And he was prepared for the hunt. Um, he used mm. several aliases. People were getting confused because he used different names in different places. And people say, yeah, it looks like him, but his name was this. But he was well-dressed. You know, when when you think that someone's on, on the run, that they're not going to be well-dressed and cleaned yes. and groomed. But he was, and he would do this. Um, He actually even hijacked several cars and trucks during the time and one of them um, was a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer that was um, off duty and she was able to sort of drive him for an extended period of time trying to talk him down because she knew who he was Um, but she was able to finally escape and alert the authorities but he was then gone again but she she was sort of like the closest they got to him until they finally did catch him. Well, in a moment, we will find out how he was captured, and it is quite a spectacular arrest. Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. We'll be right back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. These interviews are a little different. Let's go for it. Let's cut some throats. And they are very, very honest. And I do believe that that was the real beginning of us breaking up. It's a celebration of media with tall tales you have to hear to believe. Simon used to fly up into a rage. Join media executive Rob McKnight for a brand new podcast where you never know what will be revealed next. McKnight Tonight, part of the TV Black Box podcast feed. Welcome back. Finally, on November 24, 1989, Legere was captured. And as I mentioned before the break, it was quite a spectacular arrest. This from the court transcripts. 
RCMP Corporal Terry Barter and Corporal Gary Lutwick were part of a team manning the roadblock on Route 126 near Newcastle. They left for Route 118 when the call came in that Legere was spotted heading that way. On the way, they spotted headlights and Barter turned on his police lights to indicate for the truck to pull over, but it was ignored. Brian Golding, the man driving the truck Legere had hijacked, saw the police and asked Legere what he wanted to do. Keep driving, he was told. The police followed. Half an hour later, Golding said he couldn't go on driving. OK, Alan Legere said, allowing him to pull over and stop. Brian Golding opened his door and jumped. It's him! It's him! he shouted. He has a gun! Corporal Barter, armed with an M16 rifle, grabbed Brian Golding, searched him and ordered him away from the truck. Barter came up on the passenger side while Corporal Lutwick took the drivers. Get out of the truck! Lutwick shouted. I want to see your hands! Legia's hands went up and the gun was thrown out the window. I'm alright, I'm okay, you've got me, Alan Legia said while climbing down. Barter came around to help and told him to lay on the ground, legs apart. I'm giving up, Alan Legere said. At that point, he made a movement, Captain Lutwick said. I put my foot on the back of his neck and pushed him to the ground. I told him not to move. Corporal Barter bent to handcuff Legere. As he did, Legere pulled in his arms and tried to move. Corporal Barter struck him with his foot, kicking the prisoner on the right cheek. Stay down, he was told. On checking the sawn-off rifle on the ground, they found that one bullet was left in it and the gun was cocked and ready to fire. Corporal Barter radioed in that they had Legere in custody. Amanda, this is pretty intense. But the kick to the face, not that we condone police brutality, but you can imagine what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're taking this man down. They know he's armed. He has just killed multiple people. He's been on the run for weeks and they finally get their man. But the kick to the face actually worked in their favour because from the kick, Legier got a bloody nose and he blew it into a tissue and threw it in a bin during his arrest. And so guess what they used for the DNA testing to prove? Ah. Uh... <laughs> Isn't that good? So it's that it's, is good. It's just quite fortuitous that he was suddenly bleeding. Now the trial would be one of the longest and most expensive in Canada's history. At that point, it would be the first time DNA profiling was used to convict a criminal. He was found guilty of the murders, the burglaries, the attacks, and the arson, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Amanda, before we finish up, you've spoken to Legier many times over the past five years. What's he like? It's so weird. When you get a letter from Alan Legier, it's not written in lines. Everything I get from him has like small blurbs all over it in all these different scattered ways. He's he's quite scrambled and confused with his thought process. Mm. You sort of have to watch what's going on because you have to sort of read all of these different places and things are upside down, things are sideways, and it's actually quite um, erratic in, in in the way he writes it. It's like he writes a letter and then he wants to add whole sentences and every, everything about it. So he sort of adds in tiny things in, in the small gaps and everything. And so it's, it's quite fascinating to see how he's gone over what he said and how he wants to change things or correct things or add things to it. Um, but most of all, he lacks any insight. 
he claims his innocence. You know, we've, we've seen this before. Um, he he believes that all of this was done out of spite. This was done out of revenge. And had he not gone to jail for the Glendening case, he wouldn't ha- have become the monster that they called him in the press. But I think it's interesting um, that he isn't so well known, especially outside of Canada. But he's one of their worst criminals. And and basically, he, he wants to talk about how he just wants to go home the whole time. He, he, he wants to be closer to his home, even though he finds it quite frustrating that um, most of the bad things that happened to him was from his home area. So he still denies any involvement in the Glenn Denning case? In all of them, basically, he 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 blames oh, the Glenn, okay. <laughs> but but he blames the Glenn Denning case for for being the catalyst for for the others, and basically says if he hadn't gone to jail the first time, none of the others would have happened. So he's he's saying that he's a political prisoner, and that that the crimes were based on corrections doing him in. Okay, fascinating. Another fascinating case. And that brings us to the end of our summer series of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. The next time you hear from us will be in February 2020 with a brand new season where we're back to the original format with news updates at the head and then our feature case. Amanda, I'm really looking forward to next season. (laughs) Yes, and it's starting with the one that gives me nightmares. Which one's that, Amanda? David Parker Ray. So Robert has to listen to the tape recording, those that know the case. Robert is going to have to listen to the transcript, and I've actually told him to skip some sections. So we'll see how it goes. Indeed, and in my true form, I'd forgotten she'd said that, so luckily she's reminded me again, <laughs> and uh, otherwise I could have been in a bad, bad state. Amanda, thank you very much. Um, I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Okay, you too, Robert, and have a great and safe trip. Thank you. We'll see you soon on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.